Portraits, paintings, your child's homework, maybe concert tickets. Anything that holds value to you can be proudly displayed inside your home. But how can you go from a clutter of frames to a gorgeous gallery wall and make a statement with your favourite pieces of art? And where is the best place to find art that you love? I'm Laura Jackson and welcome to So How Do You, your go-to podcast for practical interiors advice and guidance from industry experts so that you can create your dream home no matter what your budget. In every episode, I look at a different area of interior design. And today I'm going to be speaking to Lisa Dawson, an interiors content creator and writer about how to hang art creatively at home and how to execute the perfect gallery wall. Georgia Spray, who is an art consultant and is also the founder of the art curation platform, Partnership Editions, to find out how to source art and why working with an art consultant isn't as expensive as you might think. And finally, Dominic Bryder, who is the co-founder of the framing company Bryder and Bull, to find out how to do our art justice with a good frame. Right, let's get into it and ask our guests, so how do you show off your art? You might have got the memo by now, but I'm a bit of an interiors obsessive. And our sponsor, Archive, has always provided me with plenty of inspiration. I've always dreamt of owning a house and used to fantasise about the interiors that it would have. After years of saving, we finally went searching for our dream home. We walked into the most perfect house, which had this Sanderson country trail wallpaper from 1979 in the living room. I instantly fell in love. Although this wallpaper is over 30 years old, there's something so now about the print. I've absolutely loved designing this room with my furniture against the vintage print. There is something so romantic about the history that the walls have. To my delight, I've recently discovered that the Sanderson Design Group have created a new brand called Archive that really breaks the barriers between heritage and modern. They've cherry-picked designs from their archive and reimagined them in riotous colour combinations for the ultimate maximalist look. You can find some serious interior inspiration on their Instagram at archive underscore SDG. And you can shop their reimagined designs for curtains, cushions, wallpaper, lighting. I mean, literally, that's my dream shopping list. And for a limited time, if you use the code Laura10, that's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10, you will get a 10% discount. Great, right? You are just going to love everything. Let me know what you get. It seems as though walls filled with big collections of statement frames have taken over our Instagram feeds over the last couple of years, and they're not the easiest looks to try and recreate at home. So what are the tricks to creating the perfect gallery wall? And where can we buy frames and art without spending an absolute fortune? Well, the woman who knows the score is Lisa Dawson. She's an interiors blogger and has also written a whole book on living resourcefully. She's got plenty of advice for repurposing and sourcing pre-existing pieces in your home and on your walls. Lisa, tell us a little bit about your home and your love of art. Um, so I've always had a bit of an obsession with art. And in fact, you know, yesterday I posted a picture on my Instagram of my bedroom when I was like 15. And even then I had like a gallery wall of... Marilyn Monroe and James Dean I didn't even realize and someone went oh my god it's just like your house today so I've always been slightly obsessed with creating a feature of a wall so I really like combining different things to make an impact I suppose so I've been like that forever 
how do you go about sourcing all of this art? Where do you where do you find it? Where do you discover new pieces? So what is on my walls is a whole selection of stuff. Um, so there are some pieces that I've invested in, so some that I really love and invested in. A lot I've picked up in charity shops, secondhand. I have got frames, pictures of stuff my kids have drawn. So I've got a picture of the queen that my kids, you know, one of my sons drew. The only thing he's ever drawn. So I figured it was a good thing to put up. Um, I've got all sorts of stuff. Um, Frame tickets, framed invitations. I'm kind of of the belief that if you love it and it makes you happy, then you should put it on your wall. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be great expense. It doesn't have to be really expensive. Um, It's just, you know, I've even got tea towels, frame tea towels. There's anything that you can put up to create a point of interest, which is what a gallery wall should be, really. Are there any go-to websites or brands where um, somebody looking to create a gallery wall could start buying something? There's loads of kind of independents that pull together artists if you're looking to invest in something. Um, There's several online really good um, curation you know art curation places so it's print club london is really good ace club jealous gallery the art of protest gallery um there's you know if you're looking for less limited edition investments and more prints then really you know places like ikea uh, unique decenio there's loads of places that you can go if you wanted to build up a curated collection and you know the great thing about building your own gallery wall is you can mix more sort of cheaper prints with you know more expensive prints and then stuff that you've framed yourself so you know it's completely an independent thing I feel combining a gallery wall. Should you be using art in your room to clash with the space or to kind of fit in with the room scheme? Um, It's completely down to your style, I feel. I mean, I have quite an eclectic style, so I don't consider the surroundings of where I'm putting the print. And I also think that when I buy art, I don't think of it to suit a room. I buy it because I really love it. And I think I'm going to want to have it up forever. So really... I mean, our homes are fluid. We move things in between rooms all the time. I know I do. So art is the same. So, I mean, obviously, if you have a more sort of official sort of, you know, um, smart room, then you could you could easily put something on your wall that was matching and that would suit that space, something symmetrical. But it's completely down to the style of, you know, the style of your home and what you like to see. So... Right, you've got your art, but where on earth do you start placing it? We need to know Lisa's hacks on hanging gallery walls, as by looking at her Instagram, she has absolutely nailed this. Literally. I mean, it is talked about that you are the queen of the gallery wall. So tell us all of your tips and tricks. Like, where do you start creating a gallery wall? So what I tend to do is, I, that's very kind. Thank you very much, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the internet says. <laughs> um, so basically, um, I collect stuff. You know, I'll have a, a wall in mind that I want to do or I want to, you know, curate a collection of stuff. And then over the course of a few months, I'll pull stuff together. So I'll, again, you know, as I said before, I'll go to the charity shops and have a look. Um, I look at stuff I've already got, which is what I do a lot of the time. I look at photographs I might want to frame uh, and I pull it all together and get it all in the same place. And then I, I source frames for it. So there's a few things you can do there. 
you can go to a, a framers, professional framers, and have it done. You can go online. There are plenty of online companies. I use one called Easy Frame in Bedford, who are really good, um, and they do custom made to measure really quite reasonably. Or you can go, you can use frames you've already got, or you can go to the charity shop because they're always full boxes, full of frames that are great, you know, for repurposing in your house. And one of the nice things, if you're looking to create a kind of eclectic gallery wall, is to mix up the frames. So that's the first thing that I do is I pull it all together. And then once I'm ready to put it on the wall and I've got my space, I will plan it out. I'll literally put it on a rug. So I put a, if there's a rug on the floor, I will lay it all out and mix. Because it's very difficult. People often say to me, where do I start? I don't know how to put it on the wall. What do I do? Mm. Get yourself a rug or any sort of space, which is the same sort of idea as, as what you're going to put it on the wall. And then just move them around. So start in the bottom left-hand corner, work your way up and to the side and just move them around until you feel happy with the way it's looking. Try not to put too many frames of the same color together, mix it up so that the eye is drawn to different areas. Um, and then when you're ready to go, stick it on the wall. And again, start in the bottom left-hand corner and then work up adding from your rug onto the wall in that in that way so that you're replicating wow. what you have on the floor. That's so interesting. So you wouldn't start with kind of one central piece of art in the middle and work around it. You work from the left. Yeah, totally. Yes, because right. unless you are going for a totally symmetrical look, right, which is probably if you're doing a gallery wall, which is an eclectic gallery wall with lots of different pictures and prints in it, then you don't really want it particularly to be symmetrical because the less symmetrical it is, the more your eye is drawn around. So if it's symmetrical, you're like focused. If it's there's lots of different things to look at, then you're looking all over, which is what you want people to do because you want them to appreciate everything that you've put on the wall. And is the kind of rules, rules sounds quite intense, but should we be leaving a certain amount of space or, you know, like a breathable room between each piece? Uh, I mean, you can. If you look at the best gallery walls, if you go onto Pinterest and look at the, put in gallery wall and look at the really most impressive French hung ones. So the French hang is when you hang from the ceiling right down to the floor, which is how I am a huge fan of doing that. And if you look at them, there are really no rules as to what they're putting up. I mean, they've got oval pictures, they've got rectangular pictures. When it comes to gap, I, I, I do it by eye. So there's kind of probably around about the same space in between, but it definitely doesn't have to be a ruler sort of space. Just go with your eye, put it up. And people lacking confidence in doing this and they think they can't do it. But you just need to give it a go. You know, everyone is creative. It just needs to be, you know, they just need to give themselves a chance. And how do you figure out where you are going to either drill the holes or knock in those nails based on how you've laid everything out on the floor? That's just measurement. So again, just do one at a time. So start with the bottom one. I use a variety of things. So anything that is glass, I tend to drill because I've had some shocking situations where I haven't and then I've woken in the night and everything's fallen off the wall. So anything which is glass, I tend to drill. Anything which is perspect framed, I tend to either use a nail or I use um, command brand strips, which are the Velcro strips, which are really good. Not least, especially if you're in rented accommodation, they can just peel off the wall. They're really easy. So once you know where it's going to go, it's a it's a case of measuring the back to see where you know, where it will hang and then knocking your nail in there. But I mean, that's a ruler job, you know, just having a look, putting your finger on the space and knocking the nail in. What do you reckon are the most common mistakes that we make with gallery walls? 
I don't like, yeah. I mean, I don't like to think about mistakes because I kind of think that if you're happy with the way it looks, then that works for you. But I do see a lot of people hanging really high. <laughs> and that is, a, I think that's an issue. And when I'm hanging a wall, there's a few ways of doing it. And there's, like I said before, the French hang, which is a really popular way of doing it where you literally go from the top right down to the bottom. But then if I was hanging a wall, for example, that was above a sofa, I would look, I would hang my first picture directly as I'm looking at it in the center. So center it. But I see many people hanging them starting quite high. And then when you're looking, your eye is still is, is doesn't there's nothing below your eye level and that is that I think only from an aesthetic point of view that doesn't look so good but apart from that I mean I think it's difficult to make mistakes with a gallery wall I think if you're looking at it and it's making you happy then it's great one thing that my husband invested in I was like what is this gadget that we do not need but it was basically where you kind of put your picture in this kind of like easel and it hangs it straight for you and it's quite big and then it tells you exactly where like to put the hole in it are there any gadgets Lisa that you can kind of recommend that will help people create a more succinct gallery wall yes the only thing that I use is a leveler so a leveling stick is really important, especially when you're hanging big pieces of art and you've got two holes you've got to make. That like is carnage if you haven't got a leveler. So just like a level, a spirit level is my absolute go-to. Spirit level, hammer, nails, drill. You're on it. All of this talk of gallery walls is all well and good, but if you're anything like me and live with somebody who is not a fan of a complex wall of art, it might not be suited to you. I'm not sure why, but my husband John just hates the idea of having a cluttered wall full of art. I need to get rid of him and live on my own. Anyway, worry not, Lisa has got plenty of alternative options for putting art up at home. I think, like you said, Lisa, it's quite subjective, isn't it, in terms of what art you like and what art you want to put on the wall. But are there any spaces within a house that you think really should be graced with something really beautiful on the wall? Yeah, I mean, I, in my own house, I like, when I walk into the door, I've got a piece ahead of me, which was an in, like an investment piece that I've got. And it works really well because it's really impactful when you walk in. So that, I think if you've got sort of, a space in your hallway, for example, that is the first view when you come in. It's really good if you've got something which is sort of quite large and cool to have at the end there. But aside from that, I mean, where else have I got big pieces? I've got big pieces above the sofa. It looks quite good. It keeps it quite simple. But no, in my in my view, there is no place in your home that is not um, suitable for a, a view of art, I think. Yeah, I think that that's kind of interesting, actually, thinking about those creative spots within your home where you can make an impact. So my downstairs toilet felt a bit boring. Um, so we actually just put some little picture rails where I've got pictures lent against the walls. So um, I'm just thinking, like, what what are the creative ideas can people think about if they want to create something quite personal? Those picture ledges are absolutely brilliant. I've got loads of them in my house and they're really good because they come in different sizes. You can put them in different spaces and you can also, what you can do with those pictures is you can mix it up with not just having your pieces of art on there, but you can pop a plant on the end. Like you can make it look really interesting. They're a really, at the moment I've got them in my family room and I've got a whole, I've got about six of them stacked and then I've got all my dad's old albums on there. So like his vinyl. So there's loads of stuff you can do with them which will create a focal point in your room 
Another thing that I've done in my own house is I've got a plate wall in my kitchen. So if you're looking for something different to put on your wall, which is a bit more interesting, I collect plate. I love a plate. I collect plates. Whenever I go on holiday, I get something like a plate from wherever I am. I've hung them all over the chimney breast in my kitchen. Absolutely. And I think it's about thinking outside of the box. Like, you know, there's some really cool, interesting vintage tea towels, for instance. Like you could get, you know, a really beautiful ar- array of old French linens that you can kind of hang on the wall or um, like you've done with the plates. Maybe, you know, what 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 else if we're kind of thinking outside of the box? Hats? Yes, hats. A brilliant one. Yes. I mean, especially in a hallway, a whole range of straw hats would look amazing. Also, I've got um, my dad's electric guitar on the wall as well. So again, that's a memory and it sits on the wall. Nobody plays it, but you know, it's there and it looks really great and it's a memory. Um, And then I've got um, an Airbnb attached to my house and in the bathroom there, um, I got a collection of David Shrigley postcards, which I got from um, just online. They just just come as a box of postcards. And I put them in these little acrylic marketing sleeves that I found online. And there's like 12 of them, like as a display. So I just put um, the Velcro strips on, stuck them to the wall in a square. And so when you go in behind the loo, there's just all these David Shrigley postcards, which are displayed in clear casings so it's really simple it didn't cost loads of money but it looks really impactful when you walk in and it's interesting and it makes you smile because David Shrigley makes everyone smile hey? so it's it's just a different way of decorating it doesn't you don't have to be traditional in what you're doing absolutely and that feels like something that you can do in your home that maybe takes a bit of thought and a bit of time but it's quite inexpensive to do to completely transform a space I have always had this idea, Lisa, and actually it's just really sparked it off in my head again, of wherever I went on holiday, collecting a wildflower, pressing it, putting it on some card and then framing it with the with the name of the location so I could look back at all of these amazing wildflowers that I'd pressed for my holidays. Obviously, there's not enough time or hours in the day to be able to do You might have to go back this. and pick them up from previous holidays. You might have to redo all those holidays and go and get them because that's a lovely idea. But it's exactly... I ideas like that which are just you know it's it's an idea that you've had and it will mean something to you and your family and that I love that there's no limits on what you can put up honestly so many amazing ideas from Lisa there for both gallery wall lovers and haters like my husband I'm also making a mental note of remembering to start work on my pressed flower collection I mean more hours in the day please We started off with some amazing, creative and affordable ways to show off art in your home. But what if you're looking to make a slightly bigger investment? Maybe this is an original, a limited edition or even a commission. That's the forever piece in your home. Now, the art world can sometimes feel a little bit exclusive and unapproachable. So it can be tricky knowing where to look for new artists or a piece that you love that will work perfectly for your home and for your bank account. But don't fret, because that's exactly why my next guest is in business. Friend of mine, Georgia Spray, is a fabulous art consultant and is the founder of Partnership Editions. Georgia, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Partnership Editions. So I'm the founder of Partnership Editions, which is a platform that connects emerging artists and emerging art collectors. Um, My background was in the kind of traditional commercial art world, so I worked at... uh, 
auction houses and galleries like Christie's and White Cube previously. Um, and whilst it was a great training ground, I realised that there was a bit of a disconnect between people like me who loved art and really wanted to collect art for my home uh, and the kind of people that I was selling art to uh, who a lot of the time were buying art for investment. So I loved the idea of creating a platform which was sort of breaking down that elitism of the art world and opening up a conversation for people that didn't really know how to start an art collection. So we really try and um, open up the conversation, tell people about how to start and how to figure out kind of pricing and all the the sort of murky areas of the art world that I think are often a barrier to entry. And what what would you say is the main role of an art consultant? What, what does that mean? Well, I think it's often a really misunderstood term that people feel quite intimidated by and therefore don't think that they can use one. But actually, definitely my role as an art consultant is to try and make people's lives easier, not more expensive. So I think a common misconception is that you can only use an art consultant if you've got loads of money to spend on art. But actually, um, my role as an art consultant is to just help unearth really exciting new talent in the arts. Um, so we can help source for any budget. And I think that's another thing is just using an art consultant to have very uh, transparent conversations about cost and about price and budget. So often a starting point for me with a with a collector who'd like to use our, our services in a more tailored way would come to me and say, you know, I've got X amount and I want to, you know, I'm renovating a house and I really would like, you know, around four pieces for these places and I don't know where to start. Can you help me? So we can really source very tailored pieces for them. So how much does an art consultant cost? Well, it it shouldn't actually cost the collector anything. So, I mean, there are some cases where art consultants may charge, but that might be because they're working uh, on a retainer-based fee with a really large scale project, like if they're kind of sourcing for a hotel or something like that uh, on a longer term basis. But if you were just wanting to buy a couple of pieces for your home and didn't know how to start, most art consultants shouldn't shouldn't charge you anything on top. Uh, you know, they have agreements with the artists and galleries um, that they're sourcing from um, to get their commission there. So it's, it's more about just making it easy for you as a buyer. Um, and as I say, kind of having those those really open conversations about budget and about what kind of art you like so I think another thing is that a lot of people when it comes to art don't don't really know what they like so I think art consultants can help you gain confidence in your own style and taste and just to kind of unpick reference points so you might have been to a lot of major galleries before and seen that you really like you know Picasso, Matisse and those sorts of things but you don't know how to get art in that style by emerging artists so um, my job would be to kind of understand your aesthetic and what you like and then try and make suggestions based on that. I honestly think that art consulting could be the way forward. I mean, as Georgia said, it's about making it easier for you and not more expensive, which is definitely not what people think when they hear the words art consultant. Georgia works with all sorts of budgets, anywhere from £50 to five grand. So once you're on board, what are the questions that she's asking you to take into consideration so that she finds the right piece for your home? I think, again, it's about whether it's kind of colour schemes or whether it's narratives or just understanding about what, what they get inspired by on their day to day. And actually, often, you know, your home has so many stories to tell in the, in the objects that you collect and your art should do the same thing. So you might find that immediately if you set foot in someone's home, it's very clear what their aesthetic is because, you know, it, it comes out in all the objects, whether in the cushions or the lamps or, you know, the, the bedspreads. It's just it, it's kind of 
you get a sense of that. So I think, you know, your art should just be a continuation of of your life. So it's just trying to unpick all of those things. Um, so yeah, kind of colour, form, um, narrative, um, you know, even could be as granular as like what the what the client's hobbies are day to day. And and that might be quite random, but you might find a sort of a link there and, and that can be quite fun as well. I mean, sometimes the cost of art, like you said, can be wildly expensive. And there's definitely a difference between, as you were saying, like working at the White Cube and people investing in art to to make loads of money. And then people like us who are buying art because we want to have something really beautiful in our home. Like what are, what are your kind of tips on um, collecting art that is affordable, that brings us joy? I think it's really fun to be quite eclectic with your collecting. So yeah, not to be too focused on theme or style or, you know, having to sort of um, think in a way that everything has to match in your home. I think, like I said before, your your art should just be a continuation of yourself. So don't sort of be overly considered of trying to kind of make everything match. Go for art that you just feel that connection to because it might have a sort of a thread or a, something that just gets you excited. And when it comes to affordability, I think it's not quite nice to mix those more, maybe more statement or more expensive pieces with even posters or just something that can be really affordable. Like if you buy an exhibition poster, for example, and frame that in a in a really nice coloured frame, that can look amazing. And you can pair that with, you know, a slightly more expensive original artwork. And then it, you know, allows you to kind of spend a bit more on those on those pieces that that are original and to mix it up so if people want to buy an original piece or have you know a commission that they you know they they commission an artist to make something just for them something bespoke what what advice would you give them well when it comes to original pieces I think my advice would be to to talk to both the artist and the platform that you're buying from so I really love it when people strike up a conversation with me before buying and say why is this priced you know the way it is because there's often a really obvious logic and I think people kind of feel like it might be vulgar to ask these questions but actually we really welcome that conversation because something might be priced the way it is because it's taken the artist a really long time to create it or they've used special materials that are you know very rare or you know there's there's often a kind of a reason we don't just make things more expensive for the fun of it in in the level of art that kind of I'm dealing in so yeah we really welcome those questions and I think artists as well quite enjoy having that conversation with their collectors because you know that's often a really fun experience both for the collector and for the artist to have to think about where it's going to go next and yeah just Instagram's a great way you can you can DM both partnership editions or artists and and ask them kind of for a bit more detail on why they created that piece and to understand those stories. I just think it's a really enriching process. I know that for lots of people, especially if you're in a new build or a big open space, blank walls can be quite difficult to know what to do with. But Georgia, of course, has some amazing and unique ideas on approaching those tricky areas. I think often large blank spaces can be really intimidating because people think that they've got to fill the entire wall with art. But I'd actually say, don't be intimidated by the bare wall and embrace it. And think about laying out, you know, if you have furniture in that room, say you've got a side table and a lamp in one part of the wall, you could think about using that as a way of breaking up the space. So you could 
kind of curate some artworks that might in a cluster around the lamp. Um, and also, I think, don't always think in a linear way that everything has to be on the same plane. I think it can be quite interesting um, where you maybe hang certain artworks a bit lower and that actually makes your eye kind of go to the art in a kind of unexpected way. And I think places like Kettle's Yard do that really well. You know, the art around the home is just, it's not placed in the most obvious ways. It's not bang centre in the wall or in like a, a grid gallery wall hang. It's kind of, it teases your eye and it, it creates this play around the space where you have more of a kind of journey when you're walking around it. And I think that's really interesting. So with a with a massive wall, I would say, think about a few little clusters or like one large piece slightly off centre and then, you know, maybe a trio of, of works kind of to the side of a, a lamp or something a bit more playful is is great. I know we all love a gallery wall, but how can we create a maximalist feel to a space without doing a gallery wall? Well, I think you don't have to put all the pressure on your art to create the maximalist feel. Um, I'm a firm believer in collecting art that you love and not necessarily thinking too much about collecting art for a specific space because I believe that art should kind of live on beyond that space. You might leave, move house you know, multiple times throughout owning a piece of art, but your art should continue with you. So I often just collect things because I love it. And then sort of by association of your home and uh, sort of being a part of you, your art will probably fit within it. Um, and so I think that maximalist feel can come about with a combination of art and the interiors that you own. So, you know, whether it's a vibrant cushion or um, an interesting rug, but the art doesn't have to be always the final thing to kind of bring that room to life. I think it needs to be considered as a whole. And finally, where are the best places to go for art inspiration? Um, you know, in terms of just, you mentioned Kettle's Yard as one, but wh where are your favourite places? So yeah, Kettle's Yard is amazing. I think that places where there is the story of both the artist and the collector really excite me. So that's why Kettle's Yard is great because you get a really amazing insight into the owners of the home and their taste whilst also getting an understanding of the artworks. Um, another example of that is um, Charleston House, which is where the Bloomsbury Group um, often resided. And it, it has just an incredible collection of art, but also painted furniture. And it's, you know, when I was mentioning the idea of kind of considering your home as an entire piece of art, they really were um, such pioneers in that, in that concept. So you have art on the on the furniture on the walls um and you know even on the lampshades and it's it's such a, a gem um so yeah I, I love anywhere that you get this this real interplay of, of art in unexpected ways I love the idea of home as a canvas for collecting treasures and have always been obsessed with finding objects for my home that feel unique functional and beautiful after years and years of internet searching, hunting high and low for the best homeware artisans and makers, I really struggled to find somewhere where all of these things were curated in one place. This was where the idea for Glassette began, who also happened to be another sponsor of this podcast. Last year, along with Dan, my brother-in-law, I launched Glassette, the new destination to shop all things home. Glassette is a treasure trove full of beautiful homeware from the UK's best and most creative independent brands that will not blow your budget. From artful prints for your gallery wall to intricately hand-blown glassware for dinner parties, 
we've considered every moment of a life well lived at home. My favourite thing about Glassette is that you can make a wish list for practically anything, whether it's a mood board for a room in your house, a wedding registry, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd much rather a checkerboard rug than a microwave, or a shopping list for your next dinner party, and then you can share it with your friends and family wherever they are for them to shop from it too. Gift giving and receiving just got way more exciting. Head to glassette.com and follow us at Glassette on Instagram for inspiration, weekly new arrivals and interior design tips and tricks from the most stylish homemakers I know. If you know me, you know my life is a little bit hectic. At home, I've got John, two very small people and a dog. And they are not good for keeping things clean, especially the rugs. So let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Ruggable. The rugs in my house get an absolute battering from mucky paws, the kids dropping all kinds of everything everywhere, and just general wear and tear of everyday life. Let's face it, you don't get someone in to clean your rugs every other month, and they don't fit in the washing machine. But then I was introduced to Ruggable. I put a Ruggable Jonathan Adler number in the kids' room and I haven't looked back. It easily pops in the washing machine and comes out brand new. The Sudafed stain, gone. The Calpol half spilled everywhere, no problem. Having a rug that I can clean myself, dry and put back in the kids' room with minimal effort is my kind of cleaning. Now, if only I could put the kids and the husband in there as well. If you're a busy bee like me and you're looking for minimal effort but with maximum style, then head over to ruggable.co.uk to check out their gorgeous selection of rugs. And Ruggable know I love a bargain. Yes, I do. So they have kindly offered a 10% discount to you guys if you use the code LAURA10. That's L-A-U-R-A and the number 10 on their website to get your own washable rug. Let me know how you get on. I think George's approach to art is so warm and welcoming, which often isn't the perception of the art world. Hopefully we've shown you how accessible an art consultant is for any budget. But what about once you've got your beautiful piece of art and you're in need of a good frame? Well, luckily that's where my next guest comes in, Dominic Bryder. He's the co-founder of Bryder & Bull, a framing company that makes bespoke frames for residential clients as well as galleries and museums. I have got two really beautiful photographs in my home that my husband bought many, many, many years ago. And they are by a photographer called David Mitchell. Now, these are so special to my husband and they required a good frame. So we went to Bride and Bull, which is where I met Dominic, for him to frame these two beautiful pieces of art that now hang in my kitchen. And having bespoke framing has definitely enhanced the work. Dominic is going to teach us the different framing techniques as well as how to make sure we get the right mount and frame to make our art sing. Now there's a lot to know about framing, more than meets the eye, but Dominic has got all the answers. Fabulous. Okay, so I mean, first off, I would love you to tell me a bit more about you and a bit about Bryder and Bull and your approach to framing as a company. Sure. Um, My name's Dominic Bryder. I started Bryder and Bull Picture Framers with my friend and colleague Tom Bull seven years ago. Before that, we worked at a really good framers called Derbyshire Framers and Angel. I was there for 10 years. I guess that did largely inform how we do things. You know, we, we learn at a really, really good framers. Um, Mark went to university with all the YBAs. So he instantly, when he started framers, he instantly had a kind of um, a client base, you know, and he developed a lot of modern 
contemporary kind of framing styles that you see now. So we learned a lot of that when we were there. And then when we decided to start on our own, you know, Derbyshire's a lot bigger. They have metal fabricators, spray booths, all kinds. They do all sorts of stuff. We wanted to focus on timber frames with all hand finished, no spray booths. Um, everything's bespoke. And yeah, just really focus on like good quality, reasonably priced timber frame. What sort of pressure should we have in our head when we're thinking about bespoke framing? And I know you're going to be like, that is literally like a needle in a haystack. But for somebody that's never had bespoke framing before... It's good to kind of have a ballpark. Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for, for other companies, but for us, even a small, you know, A4 work on paper or say you're framing a Polaroid, something like that, something fairly small, it would still, if you've got like a nice piece of anti-reflective glass, you know, using conservation materials, it's pretty, pretty difficult. Like no frames tend to come out under sort of 160, 170, something like that. So that's kind of your, your starting point for a bespoke frame. You know, as, as soon as you exceed like standard glass sizes, then you get into a lot more money. But pretty much you could start off at around about 160, 170 for something small. And if you were going up to something that was about a meter by 700, something like that, you'd be getting into more price range of about sort of 350, 400 pounds. A lot of it depends on the type of wood that you use, the type of glass, the method. You know, there's so many variables, but it is expensive. You know, that's largely due to the amount of time it takes. It, it takes a long time to make them, you know, and there's a lot of drying times. It's not like you can just whack it together in one day. You know, it needs to be cut and joined, left to dry overnight. Then the frame will be sanded. Sometimes they're bleached. Sometimes they're soaked in oil. You know, there's lots of different things that, that take a long, long time, um, which is largely why it costs what it does. Plus the materials are very, very expensive. Listen, I know that £160 for a frame sounds like a lot of money. And, and it is a lot of money. But as my husband says, buy cheap and buy twice. And if you've invested in good art, then it's only right that the frame is just as beautiful. Right, if you're in need of a bit more inspiration, let's find out how we can use framing and mounting to really complement our art. What are those kind of finer details that we need to be thinking about when we're, when we're going in for a custom frame? Because, you know, I've been into you and had some framing done and it kind of can feel quite overwhelming. So, you know, what are those kind of small details? The finer details, there's lots and lots of different ways that you can frame stuff. But, you know, you could say there's three main ways of doing that. And that's float mounted, window mounted or frame to edge. So the first thing to decide is what you want to do with it. And then you need to decide what kind of glass you're after, how, how kind of conservation friendly the frame needs to be. All of these things are going to affect the price. But, you know, a, a good framer should be able to guide you through that. Before we continue, I just want to put a couple of things into layman's terms because I had no idea before this episode. Think of this now as the LJ Thesaurus on framing. Firstly, the mount and the mount board. The mount is the border around the art. The mount board is what sits behind the art. And then there are three types of framing options. Number one, the float mount. This is where the art looks like it's floating on top of the mount board. Option two, the window mount. This is when you have a mount bordering around the art. Sometimes you can see a little bit of the mount board behind, but only if there is a gap between the mount and the art. And lastly, the frame to edge option, where you can only see the art and the frame, no mounts. So how do we know from these three options what is best to frame our art? For those three types of, of framing that you talked about, which I guess are more, the more generic options, 
Is there an artwork or a photograph that lends well to that particular style that we should kind of follow as a bit of a rule? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So there are kind of rules, if you like, but, you know, obviously they can be broken. But generally speaking, you would float mount a work on paper, window mount a photograph, and frame to edge uh, something like a poster or something. So for float mounts would mean that you want to show the whole thing. You're kind of presenting the whole thing like an object. You're not hiding any of it. So that's when you'd float mount something. So your mount board would be cut slightly larger than your artwork. So your artwork would sit on top of the mount. And the float is the amount of visible border that you have around the artwork. Um, So if you have a work on paper, usually that's what you're going to want to do, or an edition or a print. By and large, most people want to float mount it. You know, you wouldn't want to float mount a photograph, for example. That would look much better in a window mount or frame to edge. If if you float mount a poster, it can make it look a little bit too grand almost. You know, you're trying to make too much of it. What you always want to do is have like a, a simple, elegant solution. If the frame works, it shouldn't really be the first thing that you see. You should see the artwork first and it should just, the frame should just do its job you know it should just present the artwork beautifully and like there's things as well that I mean to take into consideration when we're talking about the float mounts and, and the mounting what are your suggestions with that I mean I, I know that there is so many but just from experience I know going in to kind of get a photograph a really beautiful photograph framed there were so many options with mounting so where does one begin when thinking about mounting Okay, well, if somebody's wanting a photograph and they wanted they wanted to put that in a window mount and, and get it framed, the first thing you want to do is try and match the colour well. Quite often with black and white photography, depending on how it's printed, the whites can be very, very bright white. So you need to find a complementary mount for that. You know, most whites are off-white, you know, but if you put it next to a very bright white image, it's, the mount itself is going to appear cream. So you want to try and find a complementary mount. And it's just trying to find the right colour and the right proportions around that. Generally speaking, with a float mount, you tend to go quite narrow around the image, you know. And with a window mount, it's the opposite. A very small window mount tends to look like a mistake. So you tend to go quite large. What other rules like that do you have? I think people love tips and tricks like this. Well, one thing that always comes up, I suppose, is people come in and they go, they come in with, say they come in with a black and white photograph and they'll say, I've got a load of walnut furniture, um, so I want to stick it in a walnut frame, you know, and it doesn't look good in that frame. We always advise against that. People don't always listen and they're obviously, you know, free to do whatever they want. They're coming in for a a custom frame. But I would always say don't try and frame the work to match existing frames or furniture that you have in your house. It's, It's not worth it. The best thing you can do make the artwork look good within that frame that frame's probably going to move if you buy a custom frame it should be decent quality and it should last you a while and you should have the option of moving it into different rooms and it, you know it, there's there's no point in trying to match a piece of furniture it just it won't represent the work very well always go by the artwork Mm-hmm. as opposed to the existing furnishings you have. And um, what about rules on glass? I was interested to see that there was different types of glass that you could get with framing or an acrylic option, which also threw me. Yeah, okay. So there's a bit of a minefield with the glass and we've kind of slimmed it down really at Bridger and Ball because there's so many different options. You can get standard glass, obviously, which is the most reasonably priced thing. Then you can get some glazing options are anti-reflective. Some have UV filters on them and some have a combination of both. The thing that we use most is a product called Art Glass 70, and that is anti-reflective, and it has a 70% UV filter. The higher the UV filter, 
the more money you're going to spend. If you were to look at two frames, one with standard glass and one with anti-reflective, there's a world of difference. You know, you get a milky reflective kind of finish with standard glazing. Um, when it comes to acrylic, I would say avoid it at all costs. It's rubbish. It's really expensive. It scratches really, really easily and it expands and contracts. So, you know, when it gets hot in the summertime, that acrylic is going to expand. And if you don't have something called an expansion groove incorporated into the frame, which is a small cutout in the molding to allow it to breathe, then it's basically going to burst the corners. It's going to pop those mitres, which is no good. If somebody's going to go in to get something framed um, in a bespoke way, what are the questions that they should be armed with to ask the framer so they kind of feel in control? I mean, a good indication is the turnaround. You know, if they if they say it's a bespoke frame and they say, yeah, you can pick it up tomorrow, you know, they're probably telling porkies because it takes quite a long time <laughs> to do it. Um, but you want, you want to ask what kind of glazing that they're, you know, when they say anti-reflective glass, for example, I'd ask what brand it is, you know, or for example, UV glass, you know, it's very easy for somebody to say, yeah, yeah, it was UV glass this, and you, you don't know, you know, so I'd ask what kind of brand it is and um, what level of UV protection it is. If you want it to be conservation friendly, the, the like the mount board, the fillets, um, the backing board, all of those things, I'd... I'd, I'd ask them what they intend on using, what the frame is finished with, you know, how it's applied, whether it goes through a spray booth. Because some people will use spray booths to put lacquer onto frames. You get a very different finish with a lacquer, like a spray booth lacquer to a hand oiled finish. You know, so you, those things would probably make quite a big difference as to what you were going to get. That's what I'd ask. So, you know, if you're a customer and you're thinking, oh, that price is a bit high, I'd get them to explain why you know usually what we do for example is we'll, we'll have a consultation with somebody we'll try to explain it to them the best we can and then I will send them an email highlighting exactly what I intend to do just so they know you know and nobody's disappointed everybody knows exactly what they're going to get so you know if they if they send you an email and it seems a little vague question it because they should be able to answer all of those questions immediately now we have our beautifully framed piece of art, but the last thing you want is it falling off the wall and breaking. So how do we hang our professional frames safely? Once you've got your frames in your house, do you kind of have any hard and fast rules for hanging them correctly? So a lot of framers will use like a, a wire on the back. That's, that's not very good for, for hanging things. It puts a lot of pressure on the frame. If you use a split button, which, I, well, you will have seen with the frames that we did for you, Laura, but mm -hmm. a little bit difficult to explain. But it's basically there's an internal subframe in the back of most kind of bespoke frames. And a, a lot, of, lot of frames use this. Within that internal frame, there's like a, a 45 degree bevel routed into it. You get a corresponding hanging bar that fixes into the wall and it slots on it. It means that it can't tilt from side to side. It can't tilt forward. And it supports the frame, you know. So if, if, for example, you were hanging a load of frames at home and you wanted them to all be the same height, it's really, really easy to do that with a split button because you just have to draw a pencil line and make sure. And when you screw the buttons into the wall, as long as they're in a line, everything's going to be at the same height. And it also gives you a little bit of room to, to go side to side. You know, you've got to think about where, where you want to where you want to see it when you're like, you know, if it's in your living room, like, do you want it to be high up or do you want it to be at eye level when you're sat down on the sofa? You know what I mean? 
Those that follow me will know how fraught life can be, but I've got the perfect solution for living a little bit calmer. And that's by our sponsor, Grass & Co. Life can sometimes feel quite overwhelming, if I'm honest. However, I've been enjoying how Grass & Co. premium CBD oil has really helped calm the noise of everyday life. CBD is a natural extract of the hemp plant, which is both legal and non-intoxicating. Grass & Co. deliver the highest quality CBD infused with absolutely delicious naturally sourced botanicals. There are three ranges, Calm, Rest and Ease. My personal favourite right now is definitely the Calm range. It blends CBD with ashwagandha, chamomile and mint with vitamin B5 that helps support mental performance and relaxation. Personally, the way that I've worked this into my routine is to take a few drops of the CBD oil and put them under my tongue in the morning to prepare me for the day. It's really helped me stay calm and more focused. I might even add a few drops at night as well to help drift me off to sleep. But they've got this amazing pillow spray that's got some wonderful tranquil aromatherapy scents that do help drift me off most nights. Now for the good bit. So Grass & Co have offered listeners to this podcast an exclusive 25% off their order via their website using the code LAURA25. What a deal. Listen, you just got to go to the website grassandco.com and put in L-A-U-R-A and then the number... 25 to start your own karma journey today. Honestly, I can't wait for you guys to try it. Lots of things to think about when it comes to framing. I do remember finding the whole process quite overwhelming and complex, so hopefully we've given you a bit of clarity when choosing your next frame. There we have it. That's how to choose, hang and frame your artwork. I do think you can really transform a space with some art, whether it's to make a statement or just to frame something special. You can't go wrong. Thank you so much to Lisa, Georgia and Dominic for providing their incredible advice and inspiration. Have a look at the show notes for links to their socials and businesses. For more advice, make sure you check out our Instagram page, which is at So How Do You Podcast. And don't forget to listen to our other episodes, especially if you've been pining after Tadalak or you're interested in building an indoor garden with plants. There really is something for every interior lover. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Laura Jackson and that's how you show off your artwork.